On today's episode, my good friend Jim Reeve joins me as we discuss the day I saved his life and how his survival and recovery impacted both our lives as the fire march starts now. Alex Berg, the matrix of leadership is to you, old friend. Transform and roll out. And welcome to the Fire Mark. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to thank you for making this program part of your day. Today is October 18, 2023, and I'm your host, Alex Berg. On today's show, I'm honored to have my friend Jim Reed join me today. Jim and I met in probably the most unique way possible. Myself and a group of other people, firefighters, saved his life about nine years ago at a football game. So we're going to get into that incredible experience and how both our lives have been affected in so many ways from what happened that Thursday night. So without further ado, welcome to the program, Jim. Well, thank you, Alex. It's a pleasure to talk to you on your podcast. This is the first time I'm doing that, but uh, I hope the experience is going to be as wonderful as I thought it would be. Awesome. Great. So uh, first off, yeah, talk a little bit about where you're from, your career, your family, and ultimately what brought you to Florida. Well, I'm one of the very few people that you'll ever meet from North Dakota. I grew up on a farm and it is small town, population 999 in 1960 and going down ever since. Only 27 in my high school graduating class. I went to a small college for two years and then joined the Air Force in 1965 through 1969. I ended up in the Strategic Air Command at Minot, North Dakota, where I met my wife, June, now uh, for 54 years. She's a, a UCF alumni. Uh, we, my wife, June, and our son, Jason, nine at the time, moved here in January of 1979. Uh, AT&T at that time, uh, was being sued by the Department of Justice for antitrust allegations. The lawyers for AT&T needed technical support, so uh, they brought about a thousand of us from the various uh, Bell companies to Orlando to help them. We, we had seven buildings uh, near Oak Ridge Avenue down the south end of Orlando. I had been a network engineer in North Dakota for Northwestern Bell. After three plus years on that case, I transferred to the engineering department, the network engineering with Southern Bell here in Orlando, where I spent my next 21 years working for Southern Bell, Bell South and various network engineering jobs in Orlando. I retired in September of 2002 at age 56 with 34 years of service in the Bell system. Incredible experience and career there. Wow. And uh, I'm assuming that you like the uh, the Florida weather a lot better than the North Dakota weather. Oh, yes. I, uh, I, uh, we joke all the time that if we had to go back to North Dakota, there'd be heel marks all the way because they'd have to drag my butt. <laughs> That's funny. So you come to Florida, uh, obviously your wife, June, which you've been happily married to for a long time, son, Jason, happy family, good career. You know, somehow, obviously you're a sports fan. 
and decided on a uh, Thursday night UCF had a big game against BYU and you decide to go uh, with June and I think some friends have correct correct me if I'm wrong right yes uh, we had a friend uh, a sports writer rather famous in the Midwest North Dakota and a guy named Abe Winter and he currently lives in Minneapolis St Paul area in his heyday when before he retired. Uh, he he covered all the sports in North Dakota, the Vikings and the Twins. And then later on, he moved down uh, to Nebraska and covered the Cornhuskers and uh, Wisconsin. He covered the Brewers and the Bucks. Uh, he joked he used to have a booth next to Euchre at the uh, Brewers games. And so he knew uh, Euchre quite well. And some of the stories he talks about that are really uh, crazy. Yeah, Euchre was great. He was uh, he was one of my all time faves. We we miss that in sports commentary now is the the colorful analysts that that we used to have back in the day. So so Thursday night game, you're at UCF BYU. How was your experience? Walk me through your experience at the game and uh, obviously post game. Well, we had been longtime UCF fans, and I had season tickets. You know, I had four seats for a long, long time. Well, ever since, you know, the new the stadium was built and even before that down at the Citrus Bowl. But the Thursday night game, our son and his wife didn't come. So uh, our friend Abe had come up from Sarasota at that time and he went to the game with us. We were big fans and we had our you know whole group of people that tailgated on a regular basis as far as when we had a particular spot. So, uh, you know, we always, we always had, uh, you know, we, you know, we parked it in the parking garage D and, and that's, that's where I met you. Well, I met you in parking garage D after that thrilling game uh, with BYU and went into overtime. UCF was fortunate enough to win in overtime 31, 24 mm-hmm. on a stand back to Holman pass. But you know, I didn't know I'd met you then because I was DOA. That's right. <laughs> and thanks, thanks to you, I didn't say that way. Uh, so it had been a long day, you know, because we were retired. So we went out early to secure our tailgate spot. Uh, you know, we parked in parking garage D. And so we'd been out there since the middle of the afternoon you know, at our tailgate spot. And then we had the night game. And because of the overtime, it didn't get over till nearly midnight. After the game, we came back to the car. I was driving and we started to inch our way out of the parking garage, you know, how traffic is, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, all of a sudden I went into a cardiac arrest and my wife got me out of the car and uh, onto the concrete deck and started to do CPR. And luckily, two off-duty EMTs who had been at the game were sitting on a truck tailgate waiting for the traffic to clear. They came to June's aid. They were uh, Chris Foss and Christopher Myers from Port St. Lucie. So that's that's how, how that uh, that day and that night unfolded. Uh, you know, there's not so much after that episode that I remember until, until later. 
Right. So on, on my end, just wanted to share my end of the story too. So obviously I was a firefighter paramedic working for Orange County Fire Rescue. My assigned station at the time was station 20, which is up in Zellwood. For those that don't know, Zellwood is 30, 40 miles northwest of where the UCF football stadium is very, very far away. And how I got there, interesting story. I shared the position where I was at with another firefighter paramedic. And due to a kind of little bit of a snafu, I had to go ahead and take the float, which means he had the spot for the day at station 20. And I had to float, which means I had to move stations and go over to station 50. Now, Station 50 is located downtown. In fact, it's located, ironically, right near where the Citrus Bowl is, where UCF used to play. So that was my assigned station for the day. And that's a very busy station. We were busy all day, running calls. Around 4 o'clock in the afternoon, we had just dropped a patient off at the hospital, and they wanted us to move up, move our unit to be a response, uh, extra response team for the UCF game. And now they do that when UCF hosts football games because there happens to be a lot of uh, drunks, a lot of dehydration because it's so hot here in Florida, uh, or whatever other medical concerns might arise at the game. They want to have a lot of ambulances on hand to transport people. So I was on a standby team that would be, you know, kind of in a first aid area waiting for people to transport. What What is very interesting, and Jim, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a play, I want to say it was sometime in about the late third quarter, maybe fourth quarter, and a BYU player got hit. He actually ended up breaking his leg. So he was actually in the back in the first aid area, and they wanted me to take him to the hospital. Now, I had actually been talking to another patient who was suffering for some dehydration and was drunk, and I was busy with her. Uh, it wasn't a critical patient, and I could have taken the broken leg, but there were other ambulances standing by there. So had I taken the patient with the broken leg to the hospital, I would not have been available for you. Not to say that anyone else wouldn't have also done their job and, and you've been okay, but I thought it was very interesting that I, I chose not to take the broken leg BYU player and stay with the patient that I was at. So the other ambulance goes, takes the BYU player to the hospital, which left me available at the end of the game. Of course, the game's over. Everybody's filtering out, like you said, in the parking lot. And our team leader, which was a battalion chief, he had come up and he said uh, very, very quietly and softly, there's a no, there's a no vitals in the parking lot. Go like not, 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 not like serious, but not like um, uh, not dramatic about it. And we're like, oh, OK. And, you know, it's funny because when you get calls like this, a lot of them are really nonsense. It's very rare where you say that there's a serious call and it actually ends up being the serious call. So I get into my ambulance, I get my driver, and a ton of people that were there jumped in the back of the ambulance. You know, we usually have five, six people on scene. For this call, we had nine because everybody heard that there was somebody, you know, a possible cardiac arrest and they jumped in the ambulance to help out. So we get to the parking garage, which was like a, a two minute drive from where we were stationed. And I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of people out in this parking lot. It's packed with people. There's people trying to walk to their cars. There's traffic. Obviously, like you said, the game went late. We had to clear everybody out of the scene and we had to get to work. And there you were, obviously, you know, with uh, with June and the other two gentlemen trying to do CPR on you. 
And uh, and yeah, we we just got to work. It was it was a surreal scene because normally, you know, most cardiac arrests obviously happen in the home. So you're in the home. There might be some family members around or whatever. And, you know, they're pulled to the side so we can get to work. You don't really have a public cardiac arrest call like you see in the movies where there's hundreds or a thousand people like literally watching you do this. And I was just blessed to be the team leader in a group of individuals that excelled beyond excelling. And it it was, it was unbelievable. I, you know, I knew what I was doing. I had my experience. I wasn't worried. I'd done this, uh, you know, a million times before, but when I called for something to change or to do this, the other people that were working with me had already done it. Like, I'm like, Oh, we have this rhythm that's going on in your heart. I need, you know, uh, uh, amiodarone. The medic next to me already had the amiodarone drawn up. Oh, I need this for the uh, tube to put a tube to help you breathe. The other person already had it prepared and ready to go. Like it, it was a group of nine people that we didn't even need to talk to each other. It's like we were in sync telepathically like it, it was it was one of the most incredible experiences that i've had you know obviously saving your life and just how it worked out with the with the team and then this never happens you actually woke up <laughs> on the ground there and i don't know if you remember that you remember waking up no uh i don't remember that at all you kind of started to, I was about to give you more medication. We had a, a drill needle in your leg, which was giving you cardiac medication. And you know, that hurt like a son of a gun for weeks. Right. We, uh, which was interesting because obviously we only do it on cardiac arrest patients and they never tell us if it hurts. Cause obviously they can't. <laughs> um, yeah. So we, uh, I was, I was about to push another round of medication and you moved your leg. And I'm like, how did that happen? And then I look up at your head and you were fighting against the airway tube. And I said, pull the tube out of him. And then you were starting to talk. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, this guy's okay. So we get you and we get you up on the stretcher. And then it's such a surreal feeling where you're up on the stretcher and nobody knows your status. But everybody in the parking lot erupted in like thunderous applause and you got hundreds of people in a parking lot that's closed in. So it's echoing off the walls and, and it's just making like this, like, like you're at, like you're still at the football game and somebody just made a touchdown. It was, it was incredible. And, you know, we were trying to calm June down because obviously she was, you know, panicking naturally. And um, yeah, we get you back into the ambulance. And I don't know if you remember this either, but uh, you and I talked football all the way to the hospital. You were completely fine. And, uh, and then I started to put some medication into your, the needle that was in your leg and you screamed out in holy terror. And you were like, that really hurts. And I'm like, I didn't know. I'm sorry, because we never have somebody wake up from that. So, yeah. Uh, but well, uh, I don't remember. I don't remember any of that. The, the, the first recollection that I had was in the ambulance the the lights were so bright they were intense it's like a thousand led lights you know shining down on me so i remember that and and obviously you aed'd me you know in the parking garage mm -hmm. and the, the uh, two emts you know off duty you know there's a police you know first initially everybody thought there was a fight 
you know, and so people gathered around and then of course, when it wasn't a fight, they thought it was a drunk and uh, that wasn't the case either. So, so anyway, you know, they came to help and a police officer that was in the garage came and the EMTs, the off-duty ones asked for an AED, but they, nobody had one or nobody knew where there was one. And, uh, you know, that was one of the issues that the, that, you know, that came up, you know, after my episode, weeks and weeks later, at the end of November, when I went out to, uh, to the tailgate session to meet some friends and various other things, all the police officers that had bicycles riding around, every one of them had an E&D, uh, AED in their basket. You guys transferred me down to the hospital at uh, on Goldenrod. Right. And uh, then the next day, they transferred me to the big hospital on Rollins where they have a cardiac care center. Mm -hmm. And ironically, you know, I was... I was uh, awake and, and, and coherent when they transferred me the next day. And, you know, my, you talk about that needle in my leg, it hurt like a son of a gun. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I mentioned it to the EMT in the ambulance and he pulled out the uh, drill and the, the needle and all that kind of, and it showed me what had been done to me and why, why in fact my, my shin bone was so dang sore and hurt. And uh, so anyway, the, the next day, you know, they had transferred me to the big hospital and my cardiac care guy, a guy named Dr. Bruce Stein of Central Florida Cardiology, I, I'd been with him for a number of years, you know, as a, as a patient, and he'd been a real advocate for me. So he's the one guy, one doctor that I will never give up. I drive 50 miles to Orlando from Leesburg to see him. Uh, so it took a few days for my dehydrated body to recover from the, the dehydration with lots of tests and a plethora of doctors. My favorite doctor was a renal a kidney guy. And my wife was sitting in the recliner when he came in and I had died in the car, essentially with a diet Pepsi in my hand. Because, you know, we were thirsty after the game and I got a Diet Pepsi out of the cooler. Right. And uh, the renal guy says, he, he said, that's the worst damn thing you could do. You're better off drinking beer, not Coors Light, but real beer. <laughs> I swear by that to this day. And, uh, you know, the, the great thing is June was sitting in the recliner hearing that. So she she can't deny me having my IPA beer and a few things like that. And. And, and ironically, I hardly ever drink light beer. I usually drink a, a full, you know, full bodied beer of some kind or another. Right. And I spent 15 days in the hospital and ultimately I had a triple bypass surgery and I recovered remarkably well, primarily because of the immediate care that I got from June and Meyer and Foss and especially you and your team. So uh, it you know, I didn't have any extensive damage to my heart, which is a godsend, you know, so I still have, you know, substantial capabilities, you know, to do things. That's fantastic. Not many people survive my predicament, you know, unless they have the kind of help that I got from my wife and 
the uh, you know from Meyer and Foss and yourself and your crew. I, I remember you know the the next day when I got transferred over to Rollins, my cardiologist Dr. Stein came in, and he he looked at me and he says, "You are one lucky son of a bitch." <laughs> yeah, and uh, apparently only about five percent of the people that go through this survive, primarily because they don't get the help within moments like I did. I guess I look, I look at this, this new life that I have as as a gift. I appreciate my family more. I joke about it with my wife, but I said, well, when I finally die, you need to put three dates on my tombstone mm-hmm. yeah. instead of just two. But, you know, I always wanted a Mustang. So in December, after all this had settled down and whatever, I went and bought myself a Mustang. Back in 1964, when when I first saw them on a showroom floor in Valley City, North Dakota, when I was in college, you know, when the Mustang debuted, you know, back then it was a big deal. You know, all the dealerships had had cars in the showroom and, you know, people, you know, people came by the thousands to view them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things I, you know, I had talked about and dreamed about. And then we looked at some things realistically. In Altamont Springs, we had a, a big two and a half story house, a big pool and a yard, a lot of things to oversee and take care of. So in 2015, we downsized and we moved out to a 55 plus community near Leesburg. And it's the best thing we've ever done. All these years, it it has allowed us these nine years to, to do a lot of traveling and see a lot of things that we would have never have seen had we had, had I passed away that day instead of, instead of living. So that's great. So you really, you know, embrace the fact that God gave you this more, this extra time and, and took you to spend more time with family, with friends, buy yourself the Mustang travel. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's obviously, you know, an enriching experience and eye opening and, um, you know, something about myself that my life was changed that day in numerous ways. And I just wanted to note that with you, not only being a proud member of a team of professionals that worked hard to have the most positive outcome possible in saving your life, but you know, I was at finally able to put closure to something that had been lingering with me personally for about th- 13 years. In December of 2000, I had just moved to Orlando. I was actually, I, I got a job out of college working with the Orlando Magic. But it was a weekend and I was on my way to uh, a bar to watch some football with some friends. And I was driving and a car just completely crossed the road, pulled out in front of me and I hit it going 50, 55 miles an hour. And uh, the airbag went off. I was I was disoriented. The car was on fire. I wasn't even really sure what was going on. Basically, I remember some some voices of some people. This again, this is long before I got involved in the fire service. And they were I could hear them, but I couldn't communicate with them because I was sort of in and out of consciousness. 
And they were like, should we move him? Should we not move him? How bad is he hurt? This, that, the other. It was also a very cold day that December. Uh, I wasn't wearing enough clothes for as cold as it was. So later on, um, I went to the hospital. I recovered. I had massive back injuries and chest trauma. Had to go through rehab and all sorts of things. Uh, That's a whole long story for another time. But I remembered these voices and these people that helped me out. I went to go retrieve what was left of my car, which was completely destroyed. And there were these shirts in the car. And I'm like, those aren't my shirts. And then I realized what had happened is that these people either had extra shirts or they took off their shirts. Some of the shirts were new. They still had their tags on them. And they covered me up in these shirts with blankets like to keep me warm, uh, assuming that would help until the paramedics got there. And I always praise them for these complete strangers for helping me out in a time of need. And I, Jim, I'll tell you, I went through every which way to find these people. I put up signs. I put ads in the paper. I, I tried to track back the tags on, on, the, on the shirts that were new to the stores to see who bought them to get any sort of information for these people. I was not able to track down not one of these people at all. And, and I struggled with that for a long time. And I said, you know, I, I, somebody had suggested me that I watch this movie called pay it forward. And they said, this is what you need to do with your life. You got a second lease on life because you survived this car accident. And right now, what you need to do is you need to pay it forward and be a good person to other people. And that's going to go ahead and enrich you. So eventually I found my way to the fire service, became a firefighter, started helping people, figured that I was I was paying it forward. And then we we come to that October day in, in 2014 and we save your life. And I reflect on it and I said, you know what? I finally met my my closure to this story. I've, I've been in a situation, God has put me in a situation where I was there to help and save your life. And that, that was the paying it forward to pay back these people that helped me in the car accident, you know, 13 years before that. So, um, just wanted to, to share that story. Well, that's a really a great story. And you talk about, you know, trying to find the people that had helped you. Mm -hmm. Well, just by dumb, stupid luck, I found out who those two EMTs were that helped June until you arrived. Right. And so, you know, through through people in the stands, you know, and of course the big commotion, you know, a lot of people were talking about it the following week. You know, what happened out in parking garage D and who was that and one thing or another. So my son and his wife found out who these two EMTs were. And so when I had recovered uh, in November, I was able to contact them and their commanders down in Port St. Lucie in November of 2014. And I did a TV interview with the local station there and was able to thank them. And they each received uh, you know, a, an award from their local fire departments and whatever else. But you know, I seem to, uh, I, I occasionally text them and I see them once in a while, but for you, it was a much harder task. I contacted the fire department out in UCF. And I guess because, you know, you talked about it earlier, how you had been stationed in Zellwood and then you transferred down to Orlando near the Citrus Bowl. 
and then you came out to UCF sort of as a last minute thing or whatever. I was not able to track you down for weeks. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I've, uh, I guess maybe near the end of November, I had gone out to the UCF game and I had been in contact with you. And that's when you came over to our tailgate session and, and uh, I was able to meet you in person. Mm -hmm. But, you know, your local department at the time, I guess, wasn't into awards or anything like that. So I never interviewed, you know, with any of your commanders or any of that kind of thing until several years later. I think it was about three years later mm -hmm. when you guys got a new chief yep. here in Orlando. And uh, I got a call one day from a lady said, you know, we're going to be honoring, you know, this crew, et cetera, et cetera. And would you be willing to attend and so on? And so I was able to come down to Orlando to the full sail uh, area uh, where they on stage and present you and your crew with the award on stage. Uh, I was able to meet your family and your parents uh, it was a, a moving experience. Yeah. I think I cried. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I mean it's 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 great that we were able to do that. Yeah, in fact, what what had happened was I um I I, I got randomly invited down to uh, every so often certain units get get randomly invited down to they have these monthly senior staff meetings with all the chiefs so that the, everybody can be part of, of everything that's going on. And then at the end of the meeting, they always ask, you know, is there any other business that needs to be discussed? And we had the new chief. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to speak up here. And I said, you know, three years ago, we ran a, a cardiac arrest call and the gentleman survived. And, you know, we've never been properly recognized. He I know he would want to, you know, be a part of this event and everything. And then like everybody stopped and looked at me and they were like, immediately get me this information. We're going to take care of this right now. And, you know, within a month, within like two weeks, you were contacted a month later. We had the yeah. ceremony and, uh, you know, that's kind of what it took. It kind of took me speaking up and said, hey, you know, don't forget about this. We need to make sure everybody's recognized. So, um, yeah. and it was great. And the, and the funny part of the story, which this, you probably don't know either is that we went down to full sale for the award presentation and because all these firefighters were there and everything, they wanted to have an ambulance there as a standby in case anybody got hurt or anybody had a problem. And the one they picked was rescue 50, the same exact rig that you were on that we transported you to the hospital from. That was the one that was on standby that day at full sale when we did the award presentation. So, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, in fact, I was in my full dress uniform and I took a picture uh, of myself uh, in front of rescue 50 outside of that, that day. Cause I thought that was very ironic, but anyway, now, we have several pictures with you and your family and, 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 and all of that in the award ceremony. And, and it was, it was quite a ceremony. I mean, there were, there were, I would think hundreds of people there, yes. you know, they honored more than just you and your crew. It was a lot of, there were other people that were honored as well, mm -hmm. you know, in the whole, the whole scheme of things, but it was a really nice ceremony. And, and of course I've met your family since then as well, but 
you know, it, it was, it was, you know, it's always great to put a face on a certain thing, you know, whatever that is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, listen, this, this was an incredible experience that, that moved both our lives and, Jim, I'm I'm happy to have got to know you through that. You know, God brings people together in mysterious ways, and it's all part of a plan that's bigger than any of us can really understand. So, Jim, yeah, I want to thank you for sharing your story today with us as we reflect on the ninth anniversary of your rebirth. So, any final thoughts, comments? Well, uh, just a couple of things. Uh, you know, these years have been among the best years of my life. And God willing, in two weeks, on November 1st, I'll be 78. And so we've traveled the country and, and the world, for that matter. We're going to go to Hawaii and New Zealand in February. And, and you know, you, you don't take things for granted. And, you know, speaking of, of UCF, you know, we adopted UCF when we came here, you know, in part because June graduated there eventually when, when we moved down here. But, you know, some of the memories that we have had with, with and through UCF were so many. I mean, we're not wealthy and, you know, we didn't fly all over the country to watch UCF play, but we did go to the Peach Bowl in Atlanta and uh, we went to the Penn State game in Dublin. Mm -hmm. And I remember the victory over Marshall in the Citrus Bowl years ago when we finally broke the big losing streak that we had. Oh, yeah, that's right. And, and you know, all kinds of games. And, and I still have the original ceremonial ticket for the first home game against Texas mm -hmm. at our new stadium. And, uh, you know, they, they, they made some really big ceremonial uh, ticket stubs, you know, for our season ticket holders back then. And, you know, so, you know, back then, of course, that's where it got its name, the bounce house, because the stadium was brand new. And when the place got rocking, I mean, it, it really almost got to be scary mm -hmm. of, of how much that stadium bounced back then. And uh, so the following year, they reinforced some of the steel and made it a little less bouncy than it had been. But, you know, that that Texas game, that first game, we could have we could have won that game. Mm -hmm. I still to this day believe, you know, the Texas guy that recovered the fumble down, you know, I think around the 20 yard line or something, he was out of bounds. But, he, you know, his his lower half of the body was out of bounds and he recovered the fumble inbounds and they gave it to Texas. Well, he should have been an ineligible player to be able to participate on the field at all. But, you know, the referee crew gave it to Texas and that was the end of that story. So uh, we had we had four seats for a long, long time. But I finally gave them up in 2017. It just got to be too much with several Thursday night games every year, and and our tailgate group kind of faded away. But uh, you know, our allegiance has been to UCF for a long, long time. And when we moved here, we adopted UCF. 
Yeah, I was at the Texas game as well uh, back in the day. So as speaking of UCF and as part of bringing everything full circle, I bought season tickets for the UCF basketball team. And uh, UCF's basketball team this year is hosting BYU. So I'd like to formally invite you to come with me to the UCF-BYU basketball game so we can we can make it full circle with a UCF-BYU game. Uh, so, so we'll plan that coming up, okay? Oh, that sounds like a fine thing. All right. Jim, thank you so much for taking the time, sharing the story again. Uh, amazing story. And I, again, appreciate you taking the time and talk to us here on the Fire Mark. What a great interview with my buddy Jim Reeb back from October of 2023 and our first of uh, soon to be many Firemark flashback episodes. Next episode is going to be another Firemark flashback where we go back to uh, mid-NFL season and the uh, Minnesota Vikings at the Carolina Panthers where we party at the tailgate and have some fan interviews and some fun stuff going on. We're also going to do a sports update and do a college football playoff wrap-up for the college football national championship game preview the nfl playoffs coming this weekend so look for that coming on thursday thank you all for listening and we will see you next time on the fire mark